Hi, I'm Laura Klopp, and in this podcast, Creating Safe Schools, I'll be exploring ways that teachers and administrators can make their schools as safe, welcoming, and affirming as possible. I'll interview members of the LGBTQ community to allow them to share their experiences and to allow us as allies to learn from them. I'll talk with legal experts, administrators, teachers, and we'll hear from the students themselves. Together, we can do our part to ensure that every student at school feels safe, confident, and secure. For more information on this topic, visit creatingsafeschools.com. When I started my website, I reached out on Facebook asking for advice and assistance from members of the LGBTQ community. Somebody I didn't know, Janelle, reached out and said, I'm here. If you have any questions, if you need to talk, if there's anything I can help you with, I want to support your project. So I reached out to Janelle, and over the past couple of months, we've spent some time getting to know each other. We've had phone conversations, Facebook messaging, and I consider Janelle my friend. Janelle told me stories of her friend, her mentor, Henrietta, from her time as a teenager and beyond in South Beach, in Miami Beach, Florida. And I wanted to do a highlight episode talking about Henrietta and her fascinating life as one of the pioneers in the transgender community. Pioneers can be many things. Pioneers can be on the front lines of the battles, fighting for victory, or pioneers can be quietly living their life, changing people's minds one day at a time, one person at a time, just by being somebody who's approachable and caring. And Henrietta was that kind of pioneer. So I asked Janelle if she would do an interview with me to talk about Henrietta, which I would weave together into a podcast about Henrietta's life. However, while doing the interview, hoping to pull out the bits and pieces that would relate to an episode about Henrietta, I realized that I also want to do an episode about Janelle. Janelle's life, Janelle's time as a young transgender adolescent searching for herself while living in a time when it was literally illegal for someone deemed male to wear women's clothes. So I decided to change my focus. I'm going to take my entire interview with Janelle and I'm going to present it as a three-part episode. It's partly about Janelle. It's partly about Henrietta. It's partly about many of the things that are going on today with lawmakers, politicians, angry mothers, and it's about looking toward the future. So I hope you find Janelle's story as fascinating as I do in part one of my interview with my friend Janelle. So tell me, um, talk to me about when you first moved to South Florida and what it was like being alone and then meeting Henrietta. Well, you know, first let me state that I left both the Catholic Church and foster care for due cause. And actually, with the foster father, I had left because one of us were going to die. So I had no other choice but to run. And I wound up in South Florida. And I wound up in South Florida as a 14-year-old. And uh, it was kind of scary, it really, you know, because here you are alone and 
you know, you're really not able to work, and you really, all suddenly all these bad things are popping up that go on in society. And Miami Beach at that time, you know, you had 21st Street Beach was really, a, it was a gay hustling beach. So you kind of really learn quick what to stay away from and what not to do. Henrietta was one of the first people I met. I met Henrietta shortly after I came down here, maybe a couple weeks, I don't know. And uh, Henrietta and I hit it off. Henrietta was kind of like a mentor, but my life had a lot of twists and turns because, you know, at that age, I didn't transition. Matter of fact, I fully transitioned later in life, but I was always me, you know, and then when I got to the age of working, you know, back then, well, transgender people weren't going to hold a job, period. So you kind of led a double life. You are who you are, but yet you have to work in boy mode. So Henrietta, you know, she kind of really guided me. And I also had another friend that I met early on, which was uh, Mitzi. She was a burlesque dancer. She was one of the old original ones. She was kind of like a mother to me in a lot of ways. And uh, the early days were kind of very interesting because you followed the LGBT community as much as you could with your life. And yet you had to live a life that allowed you to keep a job. You know, back in those days, uh, the fight was out on the street. That's where it was. Uh, gays were not accepted. Transgender people weren't accepted. Matter of fact, I believe it was 1975 when uh, homosexuality was taken off the mental list. Right. I actually read right. in one of the articles I read about Henrietta, she talked about how um, any form of cross-dressing was yeah, illegal and would actually get you locked up until, I think she said, 1968. Well, actually, it was even later than that. Uh, Miami Beach had what we called the Goon Squad. It was made up of about 10, 10 cops, and they would go around and hit the, the gay bars. And if you were an undesirable, they worked you over and took you to jail. Simple as that. Uh, they, they thought of the reason on the way down to jail. And yes, uh, transgender people, if they were caught wearing women's clothes, they were automatically a target. And if the cops didn't have them as a target, uh, you had to... Uh, I don't know what you want to call them today, rednecks, bigots, whatever you want to call them. They would ride around looking for them to beat up. And they would hit the, on the spots that they were known to hang out, the beaches. And, you know, they would ride around looking to beat them up. Did, um, did Henrietta get beat up, do you know? I mean, she seems, in every article I read, she was so beloved. But in the early well, years, it must have been different. Well, in the early days, it was different. Henrietta, uh, 
had police protection. Her family was in the mob. Uh, she had a relative that was in the mob. And Henry had her on the Miami Beach Police Department, right from Rocky Pomerantz all the way down. Henry Edder was hands off. So they would come into a club where Henry Edder was, and they would tell Henry Edder to take a walk. And that's just the way they would say it. And she'd get up and walk out, and they would do their thing, you know. Did she not protect the people who were with her? I mean, you were you saw her as like a mother figure in a way. Did she not those, protect you? In those, day, in those days, people like Henrietta had no choice but to walk. Because if they didn't, well, they were fair game, too. And the okay. cops were pretty... The cops were pretty brutal beating these people up. They'd mm -hmm. work them over with the nightsticks and then say, well, they resisted arrest. And if you spoke out against the cops, they had places where they would take you at night. And back then they called it a tune-up. And behind the 21st Street Theater on Miami Beach was an adult theater. In the back alley, the cops would take them back there and give them a tune-up. And did, did that ever happen to that, you? Uh, no. I, well, first of all, I had started training in martial arts at a very early age. And see, this is where my life goes around in circles, because I came down here as a 14-year-old. I went back up north in the summer to work at a writing stable in upstate New York, which I, by the end of the, that year, I was managing it. So I'd go up there in the summers and come back down here in the winter, which was kind of an ironic thing because, uh, you know, Sandra and I talk about this all the time, you know, how could people not know something's up when, you know, a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid has no one visiting them, they're not right. going anywhere, and they're not getting any phone calls, you think that would be a clue. Yeah. But, you know, it really wasn't. And again, you know, I was a little—I was different too. So you know, that's. Were you in school at the time, or when you were down? Were you not in school? Nope, I left school. You know, it's. Uh, I eventually went back for a GED down here. And. Uh, so I would go up north in the summer, come back down here when the writing stable closed. So I kind of really, you know, my life is a very bouncy life. But I've always been me, who I am, and uh, Andrew will tell you, we've been together 30 years. And you made a success of yourself. You left your home at 14, and you moved to a part of the country you'd never been, and yet you made a success of yourself. Well, I had a lot of good people in my life, okay? And, you know, I tell people, we go through life and you hear people complaining. I do for everybody, I do for everybody, nobody does for me. And my answer to them is, nobody is supposed to do anything for you. When the time comes, what is needed will be done for you. And that's always been my philosophy. And I did have, I did have a lot of good breaks, you know. Henrietta was a good break, Mitzi was a good break, and you know, uh, I wound up managing adult theaters for a company out of Chicago, and they were very good. 
they were very good to me. And so, uh, tell me more about uh, Mitzi. I haven't heard about Mitzi before. Mitzi was a burlesque dancer. Was she a member of the LGBTQ community? Mitzi was not a member of the LGBT community. She was just a, a an old time dancer, burlesque, and for some reason, for some reason, she took a liking to me. I met her, and. You know, she was kind of like an unofficial mother in a way. You know, she, till the day she died, we were very, I'd say close. You know, she guided, you know, she made a lot of good guidance for me over the years. You know, there's been a few people like that in my life. So, and life is what we're gonna make it. You know, it's, the kids have it rough today because there's so much coming down on them. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot more coming. You know, they're going to really have to stand up and say no. You know. Yeah, right now, especially when you moved to South Florida. Where did you stay? Well, as a runaway, wherever you could. You slept on the beach at night. If there was a place that you could uh, duck into back in those days, there were a lot of beach cabanas. You'd sneak into them at night. And there was a lot of, th- you know, you were homeless, actually. And, you know, you just, you worked where you could. And back in those days on Miami Beach, nobody checked to see if you were a citizen, green god, or any of that nonsense. On Miami Beach, all you had to do was show up at one of the restaurants and say, I'm looking for a job, you know. And, you know, most of the time it was dishwashing jobs and stuff like that. Uh, cooks, they kept permanent, but, you know, the transit type were, you know, dishwashers and stuff like that. And in general, if you showed up and, you know, if something was open for the night, they paid you the end of the night. If something wasn't open, well, at least you ate a meal, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So everything I read about Henrietta, she she seems to have been very well loved in the community. Oh yes. Yeah. So when you were there, even even in the early years, even when being transgender was not something that was widely accepted. She right. seems to have been openly transgender, it seems from what I've read, since she got there at the age of 17. She got there at the age of 14. Too. Oh, okay. The, the article I read said 17, so. Yeah, ironically, we were both the same age, and uh, she had a, her nephew, I think it was, that was in the mob. Uh, uh, he had a lot to do supporting her in tra- being transgender. He employed her at one of, at a restaurant, and uh, so you know she she was right out there. Did her presence, did her being transgender in the community and so open and so loved, did that make it easier for other? transgender people in the community to come forward and be accepted? Well, the early days, the early days, none, nobody was accepted. It wasn't until uh, 
It wasn't until Henry Eder got involved with the Palace, Twist, and a couple of the other uh, big gay bars on Miami Beach that she started becoming very popular with uh, the politicians uh, and, you know, people that meant something. She has a... Uh, I have a book she sent me uh, where she's got a picture of her on the boat with uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band. What was it about her personality? What was it about her that led everyone to be so accepting and welcoming of her? Henrietta was all about uh, everything is good. Uh, Henrietta... Henrietta had the personality where even if a person was bad, she wouldn't say it. You know, she always had a good word about everybody, and she was always very upbeat no matter what it was. And she she knew how to laugh with the gays and everybody. And you think that was genuinely, do you think that was a coping mechanism where she was doing that to get along? Or do you feel like she genuinely no. just accepted something in everybody? No, Henrietta was just, she was the type of person that, she was genuine. She was very upbeat. She'd have a laugh. And, you know, the gays loved her because, uh, she, you know, hey, the queen, you know. <laughs> Henrietta very rarely had anything to say about any anything. And she was always kind of like the life of the party. You know, she, she was just a person people gathered around. Tell me about a specific memory with her, like a time, a night, a day, something you did with her that's really meaningful to you. Henrietta was always willing to share her life with you, and she was always willing to uh, share your life with her, meaning if you, if you were in the lifestyle, she would tell you what you're doing wrong you know, and what you're doing right. She would share herself with you. Am I making sense what I'm saying? Well, sort of. I was actually going to ask you that, like what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right. What would be an example of being in the lifestyle and doing something wrong? And what would be an example of being in the lifestyle and doing something right? Well, I took a lot from Henrietta because there's nothing we can sit down and just say, well, this is what's said. Because, you know, you're going 30 years back mostly. Uh, what I took from Henrietta sharing is I will always be me. You know, who I am inside is not going to change. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a dress on to please somebody or be anything I'm not. I'm, I'm going to be me. Who I am is who I am. You know, there's no, no phoniness, and that's what I took from Henrietta. Just to be me, say it the way it is. I am who I am, and anybody that knows me from those days knows that's exactly how I've always been. What would be that. something if you're living the lifestyle that wouldn't be an okay thing to do? Like what? Because it it seems to me that if you're living your life and you're living it genuinely. There's nothing that would be, like, not okay. Well, what to me, what is not okay is just following a lifestyle blindly. You know, because somebody says this is okay, 
doesn't necessarily mean everything is okay. You don't have to accept it. You know, you have to think for yourself. You have to be yourself. From the time when you were with Henrietta in South Beach to now, do you think things are better or do you think they're worse? Well, things have changed from where people, for a certain degree, it has changed where we have more people accepting us. Okay, I think more... I think the majority of people do accept us for who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where it's improved. What I am seeing, though, is it's a loud vocal few, mainly Christian conservatives and the Republican people that are doing their bidding that are going to make our lives extremely miserable in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, they have big plans. So, in a way, it's gotten better, but in a way, it hasn't. In a way, it's gotten where years ago we knew what we faced. We faced it head on. Today, we're not facing it head on. Today, we're, we're finding Christian conservative groups saying, I support you, uh, you know, um, and while they're supporting us, they're in front of the legislature handing them bills to... Uh, eradicate us. Right, right, right. And that's only the beginning. And, you know, I said it back then. There's a reason. There's a reason 30 states get 30 bills all looking the same. Right. Okay. Because they're written by uh, uh, Project Blitz. The Federal Society, the Liberty Council, they get together, they decide what hateful laws they want. They pass them over to the Project Blitz, and they pass them out to the lawmakers. Yeah. And there's a twofold strategy to that, okay? You're seeing that strategy unfold with abortion. If 30 states come out hateful for abortion, 30 states come out rallying against it, passing all sorts of laws, and these laws were passed with radicalness in mind deliberately to get it to the Supreme Court. Right. Okay. Now that it's at the Supreme Court, they already have a good idea. Uh, that Clarence Thomas, he said openly before that uh, abortion needs to be done away with. Alito said the same thing. Right. And it's really, the fact that Thomas says that is really amazing because he's coming from only a few years before he was put on the court, uh, interracial marriage was illegal. Right, so think, right. Yeah. That's, but, I've seen that. I've seen that talked about. Like, are you going to undo Loving versus Virginia? No, he's not going to do that. Of course uh, not. Of course not. So what can those so, of us, obviously voting, obviously voting, putting people into positions of power who will appoint justices who are not like that, Voting, voting is number have, one. But other than voting, have, what can allies do? What can people who don't want your life to be miserable do? What can we do to need, help you? The people need to get out and get just as radical as the far right. They need to, you know, voice their opinion. 
Uh, the far right stoops. There is no low how far they'll stoop. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they'll make up the story as they go. I don't say we should do that, but our voices need to get louder. Like the, I was very proud of the kids with the yearbook. Their voices were heard. Right. Right. Yeah, I saw that. That was fabulous. Right. And they have to, you know, they have to get loud like that. It's only a few voices. It's, it's mothers. I call them mothers for hate. Yeah. Okay. It's only a few voices, but they're loud and they're well-funded. And they have no problem going in creating a disturbance. We have to get just as loud. When they speak up, you know, close the meeting down if you have to, you know. But don't let them get away with anything. You know, the LGBT community has had a saying for years, kill them with love. Well, that love ain't working. Yeah, it makes you wonder. It's like a lot of people have tried that for various causes. Like, you know, they go low, we go high. The, The whole concept that we're better than that. And yet that divisive angry vitriolic thing just keeps coming at people and keeps attracting is getting us killed right right and getting people getting people's rights taken away and getting getting us to regress 50 years and and it's it's such a tough because i think a lot of people on the left have trouble like there's a lot of people on the left who genuinely don't want to be confrontational who generally think we're all in this together let's come to a let's come to a, a solution together we're we're part of the same thing and that it's not gonna happen that mindset doesn't work when people are just being so hateful and divisive you know what uh, when somebody says i'm gonna kill you there is no, let's negotiate, let's do this, let's do that. They're going to they're gonna try and do what they want. And that's the same thing we have right now. Mm-hmm. These people, they want to eradicate you. Eradicate. Right. Okay. They don't say rein in your rights. They don't say uh, you're getting too much freedom. The transgender agenda we need to eradicate. How does it feel to be someone... I don't know this feeling because it's not me. I can feel empathetic and sympathetic, but how does it feel to be someone who is just... Like, you're someone who's just trying to live your life. You've been a productive citizen. You're not hurting anyone. You're in a committed relationship, and you just want to live your life. How does it feel to know that there are people who just want to get rid of you? Well, it's kind of really a scary feeling because I know these people aren't going to stop. And, you know, I'm 69 now, so I can't get out there and fight. I mean, when I was younger, I went to charge and a lot of things happened and I had the ability to back myself up in just about any confrontation out there on the street. And, uh, you know, you can't, at, at my age now, things have changed. I've 
got arthritis, I've got bad eyes. So, you know, you can't get out there and do those things anymore. So it's really kind of scary knowing that it's not the gangsters out there. I'm going to just say gangsters for them. It's not the gangsters out there that are looking to necessarily kill you. It's our politicians through legislature. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's scary. You know, to me, I get up every day and I wonder what hateful law is going to be passed. You know, I wonder what hate, what hate they're going to do next. You know, Sandra always says, you know, is it going to get so that they're going to come to our house and start taking us away? Well, you know, the thing is, too, you're 69. You fought. At what point do you get to do what everyone else gets to do at 69 and just relax and live your life and be be like, I've earned this. I have the right to just be able to relax and enjoy my life and, and spend these years... Unfortunately, for people like me, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. And that's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking because you deserve that, too. Our conversation continued, and I will share the rest of that conversation in future episodes. Homelessness is a pervasive problem among the transgender community, with one in five transgender people having experienced homelessness at some point in their lives. It is estimated that 20 to 40% of all homeless youth are LGBTQ. This is an especially pressing problem due to the threat of human trafficking. If you suspect human trafficking or are a victim of human trafficking, please call the Human Trafficking Hotline at 888-373-7888, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You can also text HELP or INFO to 233 733. If you are transgender and need to speak with someone supportive or are considering suicide, there is help. Please call the Trevor Project at 866-488-7386, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You can also reach out via text. Just text START to 678-678. Or you can visit thetrevorproject.org for chat options. An additional resource is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is also available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, at 800-273-8255. Help is out there, and people who care are waiting to speak with you. If you are in need, please reach out. You are not alone. I hope you have a great day. Be kind. Stay safe. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.